Welcome to Labor Pains Podcast, brought to you by Women Connect and Support. I am your host, Teresa Reiniger. I am a woman that is very passionate and on a mission to help women and men that are struggling with infertility or loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy. I am here to help share stories of the struggles that couples have gone through to inspire and give you hope to continue on your journey to have a family to love. I have talked to so many men and women that have all told me the same thing, that they all felt very, very alone as they were going through the struggles and the grief. I want you to know that you are not alone and I am here to connect you to others to give you hope beyond the struggles and the grief. Hello and welcome to my podcast. I am really, really excited to introduce my guest today. This is a woman that I met through, it's kind of crazy, through a friend, her sister actually worked um, for this, this woman and that's how I met her. And she has an amazing story that I am so excited for her to share with all of the audience this morning. So without further ado, um, good morning. I guess really it's not morning. Yeah, morning. It is a morning. Good morning, (laughs) morning. Melina. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. I know we've been trying to schedule this for a while, so I am glad that we have finally found a day that works for you with your busy schedule and with me. And I just want to start with kind of you sharing your story, your journey of how um, you decided to start a family of your own. Was that a decision earlier um, in your relationship with your husband at the time? Or was it a little later? Were you both career driven? How did that all transpire um, of you starting a family? I think it was something that just evolved over time. Um, I don't think it was necessarily a fully conscious decision. I think we, we both kind of um, were at the same place in our lives. Uh, My um, uh, husband at the time and I met in college. And so we kind of grew up together and we got married about six years after we started dating. And I know that we had talked about family, having a family, but we didn't have any particular set goals in terms of when to start. Um, and uh, about three or four years into our marriage, I guess that was probably when we first had our uh, conversation. I was in training at the time. I was a resident in obstetrics and gynecology at Washington University in St. Louis. And uh, we started to... Um, try having a family at that point. Okay. Okay. So you are very familiar with, um, um, women that sort of struggle then with infertility, um, with being in as resident at that time. Yeah. So you, so you decided and, um, was that an easy, uh, did you did you have an easy time getting pregnant, not being able to get pregnant at all? Kind of walk us through kind of your journey with all of that. 
Well, actually, at the time, um, we when we first attempted uh, to get pregnant, we I was pregnant within the first few months. Um, and, you know, that was surprising to me, mm-hmm. um, surprising to both of us, um, only because we kind of knew that it could take quite some time. Um, and unfortunately, I lost that pregnancy at about seven weeks. Um, and after that loss, we tried to get pregnant again. And we did conceive again um, a few months later. And then that pregnancy was lost just a little bit earlier. It was lost at around six, six and a half weeks. Wow. Um, and, you know, after residency, you know, I had some further training. And during that time, we conceived again. And then that was yet somewhat earlier of a loss um, at about five, five and a half weeks. And so um, each successive pregnancy was lost a little bit earlier. And what was interesting is that after that, we started struggling to get pregnant. Like I was able to get pregnant very readily in the past, but unfortunately was losing the pregnancy. And then suddenly after that, we weren't able to get pregnant. And then we went a full year without any success. Wow. Wow. And then with you being in residency with all of that, how, how, how did you even handle that like knowing all that you knew the education the knowledge and everything behind that were you still baffled by why why all these miscarriages and why now can't we even conceive or did you know I had no clue um my 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 first two losses were when I was a chief resident so I was in my last year of residency um and you know it's 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 pretty common to have one miscarriage um and I knew that you know, Mm -hmm. just being, you know, with what I did every day, um, having two losses is a little bit more unusual. And so I remember thinking, okay, well, that's a little interesting. Um, and then after that, I actually, um, had subspecialized in infertility. Um, I had already, Mm -hmm. when I actually started having my miscarriages, I had already matched, it's called matching, matched into a fellowship program at the university of Pennsylvania. So I knew I was already going to be doing what I was starting to experience, which was kind of interesting. Very and interesting. Then my, yeah, and then my last loss was when I was a fellow. And then of course the infertility that followed was when I was a fellow as well. Wow. Um, so, so it was interesting because I knew from an objective standpoint what was going on, but certainly emotionally it was, I think the third loss had the most significant impact on us. Um, just within our relationship, uh, both individually, sort of on an emotional level. Um, And, you know, back then, the norm was to start um, evaluating couples for losses when you've when they've had three or more, because it's only three to 5% of of couples will have. And uh, so the definition has changed a little bit. But um, at that time, tons of blood tests, you know, tons of uh, sort of um, radiological studies to understand what could be going on and we were unexplained so Mm. like by the time I was like 30 or 31 I had already had three losses and there was no identifiable reason and it's interesting as I have been having different guests on the podcast um, it was interesting what you just said because a lot of times that seems to be what I've heard from them is 
they don't go to a specialist until there's at least three losses or they have tried for over a year. Mm-hmm. And then, um, especially when they're trying for over a year, then it's, they're just diagnosed, I guess, with infertile. And right. it's, and it's hard for me <laughs> to understand like, okay, you don't even know what's going on here, but you're infertile, you know? So it's right. It, it's a tough diagnosis for women to be kind of labeled with this, um, not knowing why it's happening, but it's still the diagnosis they're given. Mm-hmm. Certainly. I mean, I think, I mean, from a fertility standpoint, what I always, you know, will mention to, to others is that, you know, even if we don't understand why there's a fertility issue, we know how to overcome it. Like we know, we know how to successfully treat you. So over time, over the course of time, we may be able to understand what is going on, but at least with the typical screening tests, we may not get an initial answer. Sometimes we get a lot more answers as they undertake their treatment. Sure. From a recurrent pregnancy loss standpoint, um, it's very, very common to be unexplained. It's extraordinarily rare. I mean, it's uh, about 50% of the time that you will actually find a reason. Um, Hmm. And so the other 50% is considered unexplained, but what we now understand is that it's um, related to the embryos. It's typically not a woman's ability to carry. And I think that's the toughest thing to try to tell women. Um, And even frankly, to have told myself, you know, that, you know, it's, it's nothing that you did. It's nothing that you didn't do. Uh, It's not that you ran up a flight of stairs when you shouldn't have. It wasn't that you picked up something or moved funny. Um, it tends to be the embryo itself. It's very rare that we'll find something going on with the woman. Wow. Um, and um, in fact, I usually tell women who have had multiple miscarriages that because the main reason is because the embryos are abnormal, they're actually super receptive because they're usually like, oh my gosh, um, I can't carry a pregnancy. And I'm like, actually, no, your, your uterus is so receptive that you're willing to take on even abnormal pregnancies. So I think that really helps. And, and, and that took me a while to understand, even with my background, I was kind of, I, and I think that helped me because I was like, okay, well, for whatever reason, odds were that embryos that were made were not normal. And I was willing to take them on. Um, but when I started having fertility problems following my losses, yeah, that was really strange because I was conceiving within two to three months, pretty readily, yeah. pretty easily. Yeah. yeah, And then suddenly to go, to have the pendulum swing all the way to the other side where I was suddenly not conceiving. That's when I was kind of like, okay, this is weird. I'm not sure what's happening now. Wow. Well, and it's interesting because, um, because you were in your fellowship and everything and you had so much knowledge that you could really understand this, but sometimes even though we're in a profession or whatever, when it happens to us, sometimes it's hard for us to be that patient. How was that? I mean, I just when like, sometimes it's just hard for us to when we when we feel like we have a lot of knowledge to really listen to someone else's um, advice um, on things that we feel like we're already an expert kind of on. How, how was that? I mean, how did you relate all that? Even when you said that now you're not getting pregnant, how did you deal with the doctor that 
um, you were seeing at the time or were you seeing someone? I, I was seeing someone. Okay. And um, I mean, what was great is, you know, I had a wonderful relationship with my physician. Okay. It was very open. Um, um, she was very supportive. I had an incredibly uh, supportive network of colleagues and family uh-huh. and friends. And so that really helped. But I think what was interesting is that, you know, I think for me, I never used to look at someone who was successfully pregnant and be upset. I, I never let my mind go there um, because, you know, I knew statistically there, there were going to be women like me who wouldn't be able to conceive for whatever reason. And it wasn't my fault. It wasn't anybody else's fault. And I really, um, I'm kind of that way anyway. I don't really look to others to make myself feel better or for feel worse, if that makes sense. It's kind of like, sure. okay, well, I was just really thrilled for them. Now, was it hard? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Um, but um, especially, let's say, seeing uh, people be successful in the midst of a miscarriage. That was a little bit tough, but once um, I was beyond that, it wasn't it wasn't that difficult. And and if anything, I think it helped me relate to patients and to couples who were undertaking their journey. I mean, I really, really, truly understood what they were going through. Absolutely, absolutely, you can, and still, yeah, mm-hmm. um, totally understand all aspects. Um, of that, the miscarriage, the feelings, the emotions, um, through all of that and the, um, shame, the, um, Mm -hmm. everything that a woman feels when, and, and I love that you explained that it's not their fault because that's exactly how they feel Mm -hmm. that it is all their faults. Um, and so to personally experience that and be able to explain that with, with them, it's got to be huge for your patients. But we're going to talk another time about all of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want to hear more about your story. Um, so now you're not getting pregnant at all. So, right. so how did you navigate all that? What kind of transpired with that? Um, so what's interesting is that, you know, I, I initially had my evaluation for having the multiple and recurrent pregnancy mm-hmm. losses. Um, and then once I was having uh, fertility issues, then I had to go through a different set of tests as did my, my husband. Um, and back then, you know, this was early, you know, 2000, between 2000 and 2002, um, you know, the, the options at that point were kind of the same as they are now, although there are a lot more advances within, you know, IVF, but, um, I started with inseminations, which, you know, to be honest, intrauterine inseminations are not really a treatment for recurrent loss. They're a treatment for infertility. So the goal Mm -hmm. was just hoping that statistically speaking, like after three losses, your next pregnancy has a very, very high chance of going all the way to full term. I mean, like a 65, 70% chance. So the thought was, okay, well, let's just try inseminations. If I get pregnant, wonderful, great chance of, of going all the way to full term. And um, tried three different in, uh, inseminations three different times, and it didn't work. And then I moved on to IVF. And back then, the thinking with in vitro fertilization was, you know, if you have an embryo transfer, 
And back then you, you couldn't do things like what are called blastocyst transfer. You couldn't test embryos to see if they were normal. We were pretty limited back then. Um, mm-hmm. We could only do day three transfers, which have a very low success rate compared to other types of transfers um, that we can do now. And so the thought back then was, um, okay, well, let's put in, you know, uh, more embryos than we typically would in hopes that one or two would take, and then maybe one would last. So it was really kind of a rudimentary way of treating um, at least loss. Um, And I went through three uh, IVF cycles Mm. and it never worked. Um, And, you know, those three cycles were over the course of about a year. Um, It was while I was still training, um, you know, had all the side effects that women have, you know, and, and, you know, all the normal stuff like the bloating and the breast tenderness and acne. And I'm sure I had mood changes. <laughs> um, and, um, no, I, no, no woman would admit that they have a mood change. Um, and, uh, and then I had, you know, some what's called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Um, you know, so I had kind of a little bit of everything. Um, and unfortunately, uh, my cycles did not work. Wow. So did they, did they discover or did they determine why? I mean, are no. you still, there's still no reason? Because at that point it was kind of like, okay, well, I never had trouble getting pregnant in the past. Yeah. So you think that by having multiple embryos put in, you know, transferred, you know, something would have happened uh, statistically yeah. speaking. I mean, even if there was a 50, 50 chance, you know, you'd think out of three times, one of them would have worked. Um, yeah. And unfortunately they never did. Or uh, frankly, fortunately in my mind, they did not work. Yeah. Um, because that led me to the next stage in my journey. Yeah. Yeah. That had to have been hard, but you know, it's, it has brought you to where you're at and, and, mm-hmm. And to be able to help so many, you truly can totally understand their emotion, their feelings, um, what they're going through, because you've experienced it mm-hmm. wholeheartedly. For sure. You have experienced mm-hmm. it. So it still had to have been very, very difficult to go through that whole process. Um, how was your... How was that in your marriage, in your relationship? Um, did either of you, I mean, you had the knowledge behind you um, on the success rate and stuff like that. How was your relationship during that time? I mean, um, sometimes was, that's hard. It really yes. plays havoc on a relationship. It, and I think on some level it probably did. Um, I don't think it was overt in any way. Um, you know, we were, you know, fairly communicative about our feelings, um, but not fully in hindsight. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, our, our families, you know, they're our biggest support as, as were our friends, but, you know, I think a lot of people felt like they didn't know how to help us. Um, Mm. you know, sometimes they would say something that would be unintentionally hurtful or painful. Um, but they really, really believed that we would be great parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, I mean, to my husband's credit, I mean, he never placed, you know, blame. Um, he 
was very, very supportive. And, you know, he, he was the one who uh, brought up adoption first, actually. And, and he was like, look, you know, this is not something you have to think about now. You know, let's just think about this later. Um, and he knew when I was even younger, you know, I had the fortunate experience of working in India for about six months. And I remember always wanting to adopt. Um, I just never thought that I had to adopt, if that makes sense. And so, oh, yeah. um, so from the, the last um, negative beta or HCG level pregnancy test that I had, um, it took about a year for me to finally say, you know, wake up one day. And it was almost to the day, actually, um, from my negative test that I was like, you know what, we've got to adopt. Because for that year, I was basically like, I'm, we're just going to live a child-free life. Mm. And he was supportive of that. I think he really wanted to have a child though. Um, but he was totally supportive because he had seen, you know, what this had done, you know, not just to, you know, so much to our relationship, you know, because mm-hmm. even despite how communicative you are and supportive of one another, it always does have some sort of strain. He saw what it did to me. He just, you know, physically and emotionally, because physically you're going through IVF and I mean, I usually gain 15 to 20 pounds because, you know, you're taking these medications, you're not supposed to exercise, you know, just a whole bunch of things about you change. Um, and, um, I mean, he was, it was, it was lovely that he didn't push, um, and that he allowed me to come to that conclusion on my own. Yeah. So, um, knowing now what I know because mm-hmm. and it, it, with you actually, which I didn't know when I first met you, that you were my daughter's doctor when they went through doing um, all of her IVF and then eventually having a child through a surrogate. Was that not an option back there you kind of alluded to they didn't test embryos or Mm -hmm. or anything like that did they not and now I know that you know they transfer it day five or so so it was just totally different when you were going through that or was was surrogacy not something they did I mean I don't really even know they did that 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 definitely was an option and actually both of my my sister-in-laws um volunteered to be a carrier for, for us, which I thought was lovely. I mean, it was so, so nice that they both independently, um, said that they could do that. Um, so both of my brother's, uh, wives, um, but then the only thing that I couldn't figure out at that point is that if it was truly not because me carrying, like meaning was, was, was the issue really me carrying? or being able to get pregnant, or was it the embryo? Yeah. So to me, if it's really about the embryo, which dictates, you know, three quarters of why a pregnancy goes on, if not uh-huh. higher, right? then it wouldn't make sense to use somebody else because this... they could have the same problem. Okay. They could miscarry then, or the, maybe they wouldn't get pregnant. So even though that was an option and my, my family uh, volunteered to do that, in my mind, I was like, well, I'm not going to necessarily take care of the underlying issue then. So okay. we never went that direction. Okay. Well, and and that could be very traumatic for them if they had the same results that you had, Absolutely. the loss. Absolutely. Um, and mm-hmm. so it was that was, you know, huge of you to be considerate also. 
of them. And with all of your background, I mean, you know more, knew more than all of us about it, you know, and the statistics and all of that. So you've already alluded to this. You guys decided to do adoption. Yes. So walk us through that. There's many, many different ways to adopt. How did you navigate all that? How did, what did you guys do? Did you adopt locally, overseas? Uh, we did international adoption. Okay. Um, so both my husband and I are Indian, um, Asian Indian. So we wanted to um, potentially adopt from India. And part of that stemmed also from my prior experience when I worked in India for several months. Okay. Um, so many children available for adoption there. Um, and it's, you know, adoption is tricky. I mean, it, it takes a long time. It easily takes one year. And I think a lot of people that I meet are resistant to, to adoption. I mean, for a variety of reasons, part of, part of it is obviously they're not genetically yours. Um, and some of it is the time frame. And I usually say, look, you know, it takes nine to 10 months to deliver a baby. So yeah. that to me is almost like a year right there, you know? So, right. um, so, you know, the whole process is, um, it does take a while, you know, there's a lot of screening, um, you know, social work visits to make sure your home is okay, to make sure that you guys are fine, you know, as parents, um, you have to provide references, um, you know, so it's, it is, it is just uh, um, multiple things that, that need to be done. And, and most of the time, it's because they, these agencies want to ensure that the home that these children go to is going to be safe. You know, they Absolutely. don't want to, they have to make it very strict. Um, and so our process took um, a little over a year. Um, we were initially matched with a toddler um, who was about a year and a half to two years old. Um, and I remember my, my husband and I, we were very, very excited about that, um, mm -hmm. that prospect, but we, there was something about that match that didn't make sense. Um, and ultimately that fell through, which was fine. And that was because I think this, this young girl had like been lost, you know, just the parents couldn't be found and it, I'm not exactly sure what the underlying story was, but then the parents came back and luckily, and that was great for, for, for her. Um, so that was a little bit weird, you know, because we yeah. were matched and we were getting excited and then, and then that fell through. Um, yeah, I was going to say, and I think that happens a lot with adoption is that heartache. You get mm -hmm. that match, you get excited. And then, and I think that's why some people don't want to do the adoptions because they're so hard the um the getting the hopes up and then something happens and then getting the for hopes sure. up and then something happens i mean for sure i mean but at the same time i guess i looked at adoption as it was a hundred it's gonna it was gonna be a hundred percent you know True. i was living a life where you know, even with IVF, even back then, it was a 50-50 chance. And again, it never worked. So, you know, at, at some point, you're kind of like, I need 100%. It's either I'm going to be 100% childless, which is fine for, for some couples, or I'm going to be 100%, I'm going to have a family through adoption. Mm -hmm. So, okay. you know, I think the way we looked at it was like, we know this is going to work. And yes, we had heard of some of the heartaches. And I, and, and I remember when we were matched, I mean, we, there was just something that was a little off that we both talked about. And we were like, okay, well, let's just go with this and see where it goes. And when it didn't mm -hmm. happen, I mean, we were sad. But at the same time, 
we had a very realistic way of looking at it. Um, And um, what was very helpful to us personally is that my, my cousin was going through the adoption process as well. And they were about six weeks ahead of us in the process. And they were also Mm -hmm. adopting from India. Oh, wow. And so they were very, very helpful in in helping us out. My um, in-laws were very, very helpful as well. Um, They were living in the States, but they had many connections in in, in, uh, India. And um, when we were finally matched with our daughter, you know, she was six weeks old. Um, and it was through the exact same center that my cousin had gone through. Oh, wow. Um, and what made things really, really easy and wonderful is that my mother-in-law basically decided to move back to India and we rented a flat or a condo and she was there for like four or five months by herself taking care of our daughter until we were allowed to bring her back. So then I would fly to India. My husband would fly to India you know, um, family members would go and try to help, but she was basically um, the person tending to her. Um, wow. Until I was able to bring her home. So that we had so many, so much support um, being able to go through and so much love. Wow, that was huge mm-hmm. for her mm-hmm. to do that. Oh my gosh. Awesome. So how long then? So she was six weeks. Yes. And then how long did you say that before you got to bring her to the U.S.? So let's see. So we brought her home in January. So we were matched with her at the end of September. Okay. So several, several months. So about three but, months. Yeah. Three, yeah. four months. Oh, three and a half months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With her there, I'm sure the pictures were flooded. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to you. Yeah. <laughs> Which was great. Wow. So then how does, I've, I really, I'm to be quite honest, I don't know. I've never asked these questions. I know a couple mm-hmm. people that have gone through adoption, have adoption, um, adopted children. Mm-hmm. But how's the paperwork? I mean, does the agency handle all that? Do you have to get attorneys when the child's finally here to make everything legal? What's kind of the steps with all of that? It's a little bit Do of you both. remember? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, and, and this took place in 2005. So, you know, f- you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there is quite a bit of paperwork, but it's not too daunting. Um, okay. You know, the agency takes care of a lot. Um, you know, you can definitely find attorneys who uh, specialize in, in adoptive law. And it's actually pretty straightforward. Um, you know, officially you have to present yourself at court, it's like a 15 minute thing where they say, okay, well, is there's this child, you're, these parents, you know, are you taking care of this child? I mean, it's very quick, it's very straightforward and they just kind of okay. stamp an approval. And um, for us, of course, we had to worry about immigration and her becoming a US citizen. And that was just mm. like an, an additional step or two, but it's not anything that isn't difficult at all. And, and especially if you're working with an attorney, they know exactly how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And how old is she now? She's 15. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I mean, she is the biggest joy of our lives. Um, Yeah. I mean, I mean, I went through, you know, like losses and IVF cycles not working. And I, and I think, you know, in hindsight, 
to be honest, I'm so grateful that none of those worked because if they did, she probably wouldn't be in our lives. True. So true. Very true. So, I mean, I mean, I didn't know what my journey, how my journey was going to end. Right. But it's great. So did you consider more children or was that process one enough? Um, I think for us, because we were still building our careers, um, mm -hmm. you know, I was in my mid thirties by then, both of us were in our mid thirties. I think we both were just so grateful to have one. Mm -hmm. um, we did consider two briefly, um, but I think at that point it, it would have been very, very difficult. Um, I think just from, you know, the same, the same thing. I don't think our, my mother-in-law would have been able to go back to India. We wouldn't have had the same sort of support. Um, sure. So I think for a variety of reasons, we just said, you know what, we are extraordinarily grateful to have this wonderful, crazy kid in our lives. And, <laughs> you know, and we're like, well, just take it, you know, take it and run. So. Well, and I think once they, you have them and they get older and they get active, it's like, oh my gosh, I couldn't handle another oh, one. Oh gosh. Is, yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. If, I think it, sometimes if you're going to have a short window, than, yeah, <laughs> if you're, you're going to have more than one, you better do it pretty quick because exactly. otherwise it's like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, so now this is just a question that I always have, and I'm sure mm -hmm. many, many other people and pe the listeners probably have is, when do you let a child know um, that they're adopted? Did she know from the very beginning or was there from a certain the very time? Beginning. Okay. From the very beginning, um, we were very, very open with her. Um, and of course, when they're so young, they don't really understand that. No. Um, uh -uh. But, you know, there's so many... Um, wonderful books out there on, on adoption that are that are written for um you know toddlers and slightly older children and you know i just remember reading some of those books to her on occasion as she'd be you know growing up and actually the author jamie lee curtis who's also an actress you know she went through an ad uh, adoption as well they had to adopt a child mm -hmm. and um she's written some marvelous books on adoption and um I use those actually. So my daughter knew from the very, very beginning. And, you know, I was, I've always been open with her, you know, I told her, um, you know, what I know about her, her biological parents. Um, uh, I, I've told her if she ever wanted to go back and try to find them, I would help her. Um, mm. Now I know that would be very difficult. Actually, yeah. To be honest, it'd be extraordinarily yeah. difficult to do. But I told her that I would help if she she wanted to do so. Um, and she's never voiced that she's wanted to do that. Um, and what's nice is that from a family perspective, I mean, nobody treats her, has ever treated her any differently. Um, yeah. You know, just welcomed, warmly, warmly welcomed. Um, so. Yeah, I have a nephew um, that is is adopted. Um, totally different circumstance. Um, just kind of like, oh, there's a baby who was born. Do you want it? Okay, mm -hmm. like in, mm -hmm. in in a day or two, you have a baby. You know, not wow. even mm -hmm. knowing. Right. It wasn't even on their radar. But um, yeah, he's not treated any any different with the family. He's he's part of the family. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's great. I think that's the best way. 
is mm -hmm. not to try to determine in your head when's the best time to tell them, but just to, right. they always know. It's always yeah. there because you hear the horror stories of those parents that, you know, wait or they think they're doing the right thing and it just never seems to work out good. Right. <laughs> right. You know, right. it's like they feel that they've been betrayed for, for all those years. Right. So, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think what you chose is definitely, in, in my opinion as well, the best way to do that, to let her know. So with the adoption, do you know like medical history and stuff? Does she have access to that? Or do you have access to like her medical history as she gets older and maybe wants to have a family of her home, own or? Um, we had very limited information. Okay. Um, okay. You know, we, we knew um, how many weeks she was. Um, we knew kind of what was happening with the pregnancy. Um, but that's it. That's wow. absolutely it. So okay. um, one thing that I've thought about is, you know, you can do a lot of these tests these days to understand your genetic makeup. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, there's 23andMe and there's a variety of other things. And um, I've been kind of considering doing that just so that she would know. She might have some idea. Um, sure. And I think nowadays it's just so much easier to understand your genetics, even if you frankly, weren't adopted just to know what True. you're predisposed to. Um, and, and one of the fun things that we did um, was, you know, you can, you know, understand sort of your genealogy, meaning like where, where your ancestors are from, at least, you know, with a lot of these tests. And there was one time, I guess it was about two years ago at this point, where I was talking to her and I said, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to see, you know, what, where our background is from? And that was probably the first time uh, that she's ever voiced that she would be concerned about that. And I, I asked mm. her why. And she said, well, what if it shows that we're very, very different? And I said, you know, you know, I, I said, you know, we are going to be a little bit different, but just imagine how similar we might be. Yeah. And, um, and we did the test and we came out very, very similar. Um, it's fascinating as most of us, most of our genes are from Europe as opposed to India, you know, which is yeah. fascinating. Um, and um, I think that was good. Um, and I told her, I said, well, you're different here and a little bit different here, but look at this major overlap of like two thirds, you know, that we're from the same area. So I think that was pretty cool. That, that is cool. That is yeah. cool. And, and as you were speaking, I'm like, you know, <laughs> Even those that aren't adopted, do we really know all of our medical history Absolutely. or our background? We don't. I don't. mean, we just don't. Not at all. People, Not people at don't all. talk about that. You know, you just don't know. So, yeah. And people are shocked when I tell them that she's adopted because her mannerisms are so similar to mine. We look mm -hmm. very similar. I mean, she's like a perfect blend between my husband and I in terms of appearance. Wow. My friends kind of laugh about it because they're like, we literally have our own biological kids and they don't look like us <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they don't act like us at all. And they're like, they're like, you were really lucky. I'm like, absolutely. We just, it just worked out. It was meant oh, to be. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you hear that uh, sometimes for sure that there genetically, there's nothing there, but they do pick up, um, mm -hmm. The mannerisms, I think, to some extent, right. for sure. 
but then even the the looks like my nephew that mm-hmm. was adopted when he was younger is like oh my gosh you know he looks right. like you or he looks like, <laughs> like right now that he's a little older I don't see that so much but when he was young oh my gosh you know for sure he looked like them so yeah wow I think that is is so um so cool that she um she is uh, was concerned but is excited that you guys went ahead with that and she is so much you know yes the background and stuff that that makes it even more unique and Mm -hmm. I I Mm -hmm. think makes it cool I can't really find the words to describe that but just I just feel this heartwarming um that's just cool very very neat to be able to do that with her yeah. Yeah. So good. So any uh I guess words of encouragement for women. I mean, you have so much knowledge and so much background in many, many aspects of how women, men, couples, um, you know, want to have a family. Any words of encouragement to the listeners? to stay on that journey, whatever that journey is. And you've said several things already, but kind of just if you want to sum that all up and and speak directly to them. I think the things that I would want to impart are, um, you know, infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss um, are incredibly hard. You know, they they will take you to places that you've never been um, Mm. emotionally, physically, um, and they definitely have an impact on your own, you know, self well-being. But they also have an impact on your relationships with not just partners, but you know, with family members and friends. I always look at the journey as it being a journey, and even if it's one of the hardest things that makes you kind of introspect and really dive deep into yourself, just always know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm very much a believer in that things happen for a reason. I didn't know what was happening to me when I was going through my my journey. I mean, it frankly sucked. It was one of the hardest things I had to go through. But now that I've come on the other side, I've come out the other end. And um, I mean, I'm incredibly grateful for my journey. It's given me so much insight. Um, it's made me grow as a person. Um, And it's also provided me the ability, I think, to be a better parent. And I just want everybody out there to know that there are so many different ways of forming a family. Uh Everybody has a journey. They might be similar to others, but they're incredibly, incredibly unique. And it's just really just to keep the faith, you know, keep, you know, whatever decision you make, um, never think that it's a bad one. You know, you just have to keep moving forward in whatever way that works best for you. Um, but there are so many different unique ways of forming a family. Absolutely. Well, and I think, like you said, everyone's journey, we, we almost need to use our journey in, in my opinion, anyway, to help, to help others, you know, Mm -hmm. to totally Mm -hmm. use that um, journey and it, and it does suck when you're going through it. Uh, But the experience that you have 
to be able to help someone else, even if it's just a few words of encouragement or just to know there's someone else that totally gets and feels Mm -hmm. how they're feeling helps so much. Absolutely. You are definitely not alone. You know, they, it's hard. So we, we, um, um, I want to conclude with this, that obviously Dr. Uh, Melina is a physician that helps um, women and men, I guess, through this journey. Um, and I will definitely have her on another episode in the near future to talk about all of that, her practice, um, she could probably share a lot of statistics for us, all the different kind of way, how things have changed from when she was going through IVF to where it is now. Those, um, like I said, the statistics and everything on that. I would love if you are open to that um, down the road here to have you on to even give more encouragement to couples um, with all of your experience. Absolutely. It would be an absolute privilege to do that. Yes. I, I look forward to that when our schedules clear up again a little bit, open up. <laughs> right. <laughs> we can do that. Even though we're going through all of this pandemic and everything, our schedules mm-hmm. are still very, very busy. Um, and so we will schedule another time where you can share a lot. And I know that is going to be so inspiring for the listeners And this has been very inspiring for the listeners first to, at least in my opinion, for someone that has your profession, your, your livelihood is helping women and men through the infertility struggle, um, to have gone through it personally yourself is huge, um, I know for my daughter, you know, without knowing prior to meeting you that you were her, her doctor, it meant a lot to her that you totally could relate to the things that they were going through um, on their journey. So I so much appreciate you sharing today uh, your story that ended beautifully with a beautiful little, uh, I should go say little girl. Um, beautiful almost adult girl (laughs) (laughs) that you've been able to enjoy yeah thank you thank you very much thank you wow thank you so much dr melina for sharing your story your journey such an encouragement to the listeners all of the loss you had and then the struggles after the loss of infertility, and then to finally have a family of your own through the adoption process. Such an encouraging story. I would like to thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to uh, the listeners. And for the listeners, thank you for taking the time. Our time is very precious. And I so much appreciate you taking and spending some time with me. If if this episode 
Did it inspire you in any way? Did you learn something? Did it teach you something? Can you think of one person that might need to hear this? If so, please, please, most importantly, share this episode with them. And if you want, share it on your social media and tag me. I would love to connect. We definitely want to spread the love and hope to those that are struggling to give them encouragement. If you are interested in connecting with me or with Dr. Marina, please connect with me on Facebook through Women Connect and Support or by sending me an email at Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-A, at womenconnect2019 at gmail.com. And as always, always, I want you to know that you are not alone on this journey. We are here to connect and support you through this most difficult time in your life. Thank you.